Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Brian Alexander will join us to discuss the hospital. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Show. Well, America's healthcare system is certainly in crisis, no more so than when one takes a look at the effects that it has on small town hospitals. Joining us today to discuss history is Mr. Brian Alexander. Mr. Alexander is the author of Glass House and winner of the Ohioan Book Awards and a contributing writer to The Atlantic. He has written for the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Esquire, among other sources. He has penned the new book, The Hospital. Life, death, and dollars in a small American town. Mr. Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, great book you've written here of the hospital, which you talk about the travails of hospital in a small American town. So why you decide to put this book together? Well, I did a story for The Atlantic on the perilous condition of many small community, often rural hospitals. At the time, there were about 600 of these hospitals that were at risk of having to close their doors. As we speak today, there are are about 800 of them. Uh, That's partly because of the pandemic. So I wrote the story, and the chief executive officer of this hospital in Bryan, Ohio, up in the far northwest corner of the state, called me up and said that I should come to his town and take a look at his hospital and how they're managing to stay open. So I did. I spent a few days there. And I realized that I could use the story of this particular hospital in this particular town to really tell the bigger story of what I call the American sickness. And that involves things like inequality, low wages, the health care system itself, but also these big systems that are affecting the health and lives of all Americans everywhere. You're from Ohio. Your previous book, Glass House, was about the unraveling of the economy in small town in Ohio. Do you think that Ohio is emblematic of the greater problems that go on in the American system? Yeah, it is. It's not just the American healthcare system. It's the American economic system. Uh, currently, the way our economic system operates, the economy is literally killing people. Ohio has been a victim of this, as has the entire industrial Midwest, upstate New York, parts of the South big swath of the United States really have been not only overlooked in this derisive uh, area we call flyover country, but it's also been the source of a lot of unraveling of our overall social fabric. So these towns are really avatars for any number of other places. Well, well, tell us about Brian. What's his history like and the economy like there and environment you found? Well, Brown, Ohio is a neat little town. Up until about the late 1980s, it was really quite prosperous. It had one very large employer called Aero, A-R-O. They made hydraulic pumps and fluid moving equipment. They started out making grease guns for auto garages back in the 1930s. 
but they branched out and became a big supplier to the auto industry, the aircraft industry, and NASA, for example. They employed over 2,000 people in this town, and it's only a town of 8,500 people, so they were big. The other big company was Ohio Art, and anybody who's over the age of, oh, I don't know, 40 or 50 will remember Etch-A-Sketch. Etch-A-Sketches were a product of Ohio Art. And then there's the century-old Spangler Candy Company, the maker of Dum Dum Lollipops. So they had thriving uh, businesses there, thriving manufacturers. Today, in the latter part of the 20th century and into the 21st century, the big businesses really were suppliers to the auto industry in plastic injection molding, metal stamping, and so on. So during the Great Recession of 2008-2009, it devastated Williams County, which is the county that Brian sits in. Unemployment rate was over 17%. People talk about it today like my parents used to talk about Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And that really devastated the local economy. And in many ways, they are still recovering from that, partly because a lot of manufacturing shut down and people now work in lower wage jobs. Certainly, it's put stress on a number of areas of their lives, no more so than healthcare. It reveals the flaws in the system. Yeah, and here's, an, here's one way that it works. And we are going through a similar situation right now, thanks to the pandemic, which I also cover in the book. So during the Great Recession, people lost their jobs. They stopped spending any money on anything. And among the things they stopped doing was going to doctors and they stopped going for preventive care and getting diagnostic testing. So they were, for example, not going in for colonoscopies. Well, come about 10 or 11 years later, there's a higher rate of colorectal cancer in the area than there used to be. And that's because polyps and so on were not discovered 10 years ago because people were not going for it. Now they're facing more dire consequences. The hospitals that's there, how's it managing to operate under these conditions? Well, as far as the pandemic is concerned, beginning of the pandemic, they were losing $800,000 a month. The Government Cares Act really did help uh, keep them on their feet with bailout money, as it did many hospitals and providers all over the United States. But before the pandemic struck, they were able to keep their doors open by trying, believe it or not, to grow themselves. People in Bryan, it is located about 50 miles to the west of Toledo, Ohio, and 50 miles to the east of Fort Wayne, Indiana. So people could drive to those larger metro areas for specialized care and so on. As a way to keep them in town and, and keep that money in town, the hospital started these specialized clinics within the hospital. They recruited doctors, paid those doctors a lot of money to set up shop there. And so people now can stay there. It was uncertain at the time the book opens whether or not this strategy would work. And that is one of the things that the book covers is will this or will this not work? A lot of the, the system that's set up is just incredibly complex. Why does it have to be this way? Well, you know, the American healthcare system, or what uh, you should put quote marks around the word system, because as a character in the book says to me, there's no such thing as an American healthcare system. As it has evolved for the last 100 years, it's really been a series of accidents and band-aids and political decisions that was never meant, it was never designed, you would never design a system to be anything like this. Other countries certainly did not. 
when they have the opportunity to make a change. So it, it is incredibly complex, as you say, Chuck. And the, the complexity, in my view, is deliberate because that is an opportunity for experts to earn their livings. You really do need to be an expert in order to guide your way around this system and through it. And one of the advantages of being an expert is that you can command very high salaries and wages and, and rewards for yourself. A question I always ask myself as a journalist is, who benefits from complexity? If something sounds outrageously complex, somebody made it that way, and they made it that way because they benefit from it. Your book goes into a lot of the deeper issues that are plaguing Brian and other small towns like it. What, what are some of those issues? Well, you know, in addition to, uh, I, I go into a lot of detail about socioeconomics. And one of the reasons I do that is because only about 15 to 20% of Americans' health outcomes is a direct result of medical care. The rest is what's called the social determinants of health. In other words, where do we live? What zip codes do we live in? How much money do we make? What kind of educations do we have? Perfect example is Brian itself. It is divided into two different census tracts, one side of Main Street and the other side of Main Street. It's a very homogenous town, about 98% white. And yet people who live on the east side of Main Street live eight years less they're diagnosed with cancer than people who live on the west side of Main Street if they are diagnosed with cancer. So in other words, you know, both sides of the street get cancer, but the people on the east side, which is the poorer and working class side, they die eight years sooner than people on the west side. And in the United States as a whole, there's a 13-year longevity gap between wealthy Americans and poor Americans. And that does not necessarily have that much to do with medical care itself. It has to do with how people live their lives. And so I spent a lot of time putting a human face on this by telling the human stories of people who live there and what they experience. And we follow characters through the book. Were there any other stories that really stuck out for you that really stuck with you as a pile of the book? Well, really, it's how patients are at the bottom of the healthcare pyramid. We have these big organizations oftentimes and patients can become an afterthought. It's, you would think that the patients would be the first thought, but really there's a, a built-in conflict in American medicine, which is the conflict between the mission of keeping people healthy and the business of operating the healthcare system. So they are not necessarily aligned. They are often in opposition to each other. And the hospital uh, that's at the center of the book, the hospital, really has to try to navigate the difference between the business and the mission. And that's where the essential tension comes in. Do you get the sense that the individuals who are at the hospital, they certainly are there to help all the individuals, but they're tied by this amazingly complex system. Do you sense frustration on their end? Yeah, I, I do. I have spoken to many people, and I want to stress the people, the staff at this particular hospital, they're a very caring staff. They're good at their jobs. They want to help people. But I have had many people come up to me and say, God, you know, I'm, I've been in healthcare for 30 years. I just want to get out of it now. They are doctors, nurses, administrators. Many people have said that to me since the book has come out just the other day. And I think that's emblematic of the fact that they feel like they've got to 
fight the system in order to provide good care to their patients. Do you sense that there are any good solutions to this? How do we dig our way out of what we found ourselves in? Well, I think there are good solutions, but there are no painless solutions. And that's where I think uh, we need a little bit more frankness in our country from all sides. I personally have come to the conclusion that we should blow up the entire system and start all over again. But I also uh, admit that that will be a very painful and expensive exercise. It will not be any more expensive than the current system, but it's going to be very disruptive to the economy because healthcare is the single largest part of the American economy. It is over a $3 trillion a year enterprise in this country, and it doesn't work very well. So to blow that up means you're going to disrupt insurance companies. Doctors are probably going to make a little bit less. The device manufacturers are probably going to make a little bit less. And there are many vested interests that would fight that tooth and nail. But the fact is, we spend far more for healthcare in the United States than any of our other peer countries, and we get lousy results from that. So many stakeholders, it's almost impossible to unravel it all. What do you think hospitals across the country, small towns, big towns, what can they do? Well, you know, one of the questions I asked several hospital administrators was, suppose hypothetically I came in here tomorrow and I said, I'm the government. I am going to give you a grant based on your expenses for, let's say, the last three to five years. I'll average that out and I'll just give you a chunk of money for you to operate the hospital for this year, and in return, you charge people nothing. Would you take that deal? And every hospital administrator said, yes, they would take that deal. They don't like having to be a business, and yet they are forced to be a business. That's one thing we could do right now. Another thing we could do right now is the government could go into the generic drug business. Generic drugs are most often prescribed drugs. They're off-patent. And they are made by for-profit companies that oftentimes can charge whatever they want for the generic drug. Well, the government could go into the drug business and start making its own drugs and charge only what the drugs cost to produce. So in the end, it would actually cost taxpayers nothing, but it would also lower prices for the consumers of those drugs. Do you think there's the political will now to see some of these things through? No, I don't. I think there should be. I hope there will be. Hope springs eternal. Other countries do this better than us. Obamacare was good, the Affordable Care Act. That was a good thing. It helped save hospitals like the one in Bryan, Ohio, that I write about in the book. Many other small community hospitals were saved because of the Affordable Care Act. However, it is not the ultimate solution. What you end up doing is subsidizing health insurance companies which does help people get the insurance. That's good. But it's not the final solution. Ultimately, that will be unsustainable. Uh, the premiums are often a little bit too high for working class people, and quite often the deductibles are very high. Now, that's not just true of the Affordable Care Act. It's also true of private employer-supplied insurance. The biggest employer in Williams County is a Menards Distribution Center, the big home improvement retailer, and employees there have insurance policies that they contribute to with pretty high premiums, but also very high deductibles of about $5,000. And for a lot of people making the wages they make at Menard, that $5,000 might as well be $5 million.
How has the current pandemic affected these hospitals? Do you think that it's going to shed a light on flaws in our healthcare system? Do you think that this is going to change anything? Well, it's interesting because I was, I was actually writing the book as the pandemic was taking shape. And I had been describing these various fault lines that were running not only through the healthcare system, but through American society and the American economy that is leading to this really outrageous inequality that we are facing here in this country. What the COVID pandemic did was it just blew open all those fault lines. It sort of proved everything that came before. So the perfect example is who is suffering the most right now from the pandemic? It's what we call our essential workers, and we're all sort of applauding them. But those are mainly poorer or working class people, often minorities, who have to go to work. They're working in grocery stores, they're working in meatpacking plants and so on, and they are catching and dying from COVID-19 at much higher rates than many other people are who can afford either not to work or to stay home and work from home. They have different kinds of jobs. They, they can do that. So the inequality is very glaring when it comes to COVID-19, and that's because that's built into the system. What would you like people, after reading the book, to take home from it? I, I would like them uh, to appreciate not only the complexities and the craziness of the current healthcare system, but also the way we are setting up the United States, the way the whole country operates. I hope people stop and think. I certainly obviously hope they read the book, but I hope they think about, gee, I, I didn't really want to think about these things or I didn't realize some of these things. This is going to make me investigate further. That's really all I can ask is that people begin to think harder about some of the things we often take for granted. We were just talking with Mr. Brian Alexander. He's the author of the new book, The Hospital, Life, Death, and Dollars in a Small American Town. Mr. Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Uh, you're quite welcome. It was my pleasure. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.